following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. For our gospel reading, I'm reading Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. And in your book, it's page 796. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed to the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, so I have two questions for you. As we start out today, just to tell you in advance, the first one, the first question is going to be an answer out loud question, right? Uh, if you want to, not everybody has to. Uh, and the second one is going to be more of an answer it in your heart kind of question. All right. So um, don't shout out the answer to the second one. Um, that's your cue that this could potentially be embarrassing. All right. <laughs> so the first one, the answer out loud question is this one. Uh, which part of the story that you just heard Don read? stands out to you the most. Now, I know some of you have heard that story a hundred times. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. Um, but what stands out the most to you? It could be an image in the story. It could be a line or a word. Um, I'd like to get maybe six to 10 people to shout out an answer. And um, it's okay to repeat someone else's answer. That would give us a little bit of information. So what stands out to you? You, you said ye of little faith. You went all King James Bible on us there. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he got out of the boat. Interesting, thank you. What else? Jesus said, why do you doubt? Great question. What's that? He was afraid, okay. What else? He put his eyes on the things around him. He put his eyes on the things around him. Okay, yeah, you're kind of picturing Peter you're talking about? Yep, thank you. A couple more. Jesus gave him his hand, even though, what did you say? Okay, because he had lack of faith. He gave him his hand. Thank you. Yeah, what else? This Peter plunging, and I think it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You watch the fail videos on Instagram. I know he, <laughs> he said, if you couldn't hear him, he said, I just see Peter plunging, and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> 
Easy for you to say, standing on dry land, sitting in your chair. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe we'll end on that one. Um, how many of you, by the way, though, uh, did someone else say the thing that you also noticed? Just show me your hands. Okay, great. All right, the second question, remember, is an answer it in your heart question. It's this. If you could freeze one moment of your life to be the moment by which you would be remembered, what moment would it be, right? So picture George Washington crossing the Delaware, the oil painting, right? If someone was going to make an oil painting of a moment in your life to, uh, to immortalize your existence, what moment would you choose, right? Now, I know some of you are doing the same thing that I would do in this situation. You're thinking of the exact moment you would not want to be in an oil painting. And that's okay. You can think of that moment too. Maybe think of both moments. I'm going to give you just a minute of quiet to think about what your oil painting moment or moments would or would not be. All right, you all have your moments in your, in your heart. You've answered this question quietly for yourself. So what I kind of want to do here is go to the top of that passage and, and kind of make my way through it, make our way through it bit by bit and see what sort of stands out to us. It might be a little more honest to say, see what stands out to me, but I hope I'll take you on this little journey. All right. So it starts out, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. How many of you were here last Sunday? Do you notice, along with me, the parallel in this story to last week's story? So if you were here last week, the miracle that was being told by the gospel writer Matthew was the the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And that story started out with Jesus quite distraught at the execution of his good friend and cousin, John the Baptist, by the Roman Empire, um, trying to get away from the crowds and going across the, the sea in a boat to get away from them. But they know where he's headed and they meet him there. So he doesn't get his, his me time on that occasion. And the disciples are there with him and they want to send the crowd away. But Jesus says, no, let them stay. And the crowd, the disciples say, we don't have anything to give them. They're hungry. Um, Jesus says, well, let's see what we can do about it. And they, they end up having a big feast and have a lot of food left over. So what was happening is Jesus was trying to get away to pray by going across the, the little sea there, right? And he couldn't do it. And the people followed him. <laughs> and then he sent them away back across in the, maybe in the same boat that he'd come across in. And he says, okay, if I can't get away from you on my boat, I'm going to send you away from me on my boat. <laughs> All right. And he goes up in the mountain to pray because Jesus models for us good um, spiritual self-care. <laughs> we all need to go up in the mountains to pray once in a while. I think it's interesting that this story, which, um, which contains a very famous miracle, is sort of a narrative mirror of the story before it, which contains a very famous miracle. I just love the, when the scriptures give us something like that. I don't always know that it means anything in particular, but um, when, you, when you notice, when you pay attention, I just want you to notice things, right? Okay, so evening comes, Jesus is there alone, but by this time, we're in verse 24 now, the boat 
battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. Have you ever been on a boat in a storm? It is terrifying. If you haven't been on a boat in a storm, I cannot recommend it at all. <laughs> Don't do it. Maybe just stay off of boats. Um, it's an unpleasant experience. It's very, very scary. And I can easily imagine, as anybody who's been on that situation, um, what the disciples' level of fear might have been. Notice that that happens in the evening. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat was battered by the waves. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the seas. So when you slow down a little bit like this with scriptures, you start to notice things like this. There's some time that elapses. It, for us, it's a, it's a blip because we read through it fairly quickly. But it's sometime in the evening and sometime early in the morning. Now, you could say that was 1159 and 1201. You might technically be right. But I imagine it was a little bit longer that these disciples had to endure this terrifying experience of being in the boat that's being battered by the waves. And so they are probably primed to be scared of everything that comes next. And indeed, that's what happens when the disciples uh, see that Jesus is walking toward them on the sea. <laughs> Even in your best moments, that might freak you out a little bit, but they've had a rough night. And they say, it's a ghost, and they cry out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. By the way, Jesus is here modeling for us good English grammar. Because as you know, when the object of a sentence is, is uh, <clears throat> from the verb to be, he uses the uh, first person form. I don't know. It's, I know there's some grammar rule about why you say it is I rather than it is me. Anyway, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter says to him something that I think is quite perplexing. Again, something that I wouldn't notice if I was just reading through this fairly quickly, but when you slow down, you start to wonder about things. You start to notice things. Lord, if it is you, Peter says, command me to come to you on the water. We take this as given because, especially those of us who've heard the story enough times, know that that's just what happened. Jesus Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to, to you on the water. And I wonder why that was the thing. Now that I've slowed down a little bit, I wonder what would I have said in that situation? I think I would have said, Jesus, could you hurry up? And by the way, uh, have you noticed the storm? It's been going since evening, and it is now early morning. I would very much like for it to stop ASAP. Sincerely me. <laughs> but Peter says... I don't know why. Does he want to, is this a test? Does he not believe it's Jesus? He thinks it might be a ghost. And, and surely uh, the way to determine whether it's Jesus or a ghost is to ask the being to invite you toward it. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me that Peter would ask this particular question. I wonder what you might have asked in that situation, battered by the waves for hours, maybe seasick, suddenly the spiritual teacher you've been following around for a few years who's just done an amazing miracle is now doing another one, walking on water toward you? What would you say in that situation? Jesus complies. He says, okay, come on out. And as Alicia pointed out, Peter does. Peter got out of the boat started walking on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So maybe it's not always good 
to notice, <laughs> right? I've told you three times in this, this little talk already, I want you to notice things. But what happens for Peter is when he starts to notice too many things, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, his experience starts to get a little bit lower, <laughs> right? And Ben starts to laugh at him. <laughs> See, Peter is, I think, in this state of spiritual flow, of connection with Jesus. When he hears Jesus' voice say, okay, come on out, he immediately answers and starts to move toward him. And he's in this state of complete focus, complete trust. And he's actually walking on water. And it's not until, it's, it's not until he notices that he is also performing a miracle or being, having a miracle performed on him <laughs> that he starts to sink into the water. How many times do we have these brief moments, maybe even not a whole minute, of profound trust in God, of a spiritual flow state, where we don't think, we don't overthink, we just act. We just do the thing that Jesus is calling us to do. And wouldn't you know it, we start to have some success at it. The miracle starts to take place within us. And then just as soon as we notice that's what's happening, it vanishes. That's a very frustrating spiritual experience if you've never had it. But if you have had it, you know. And I love that the Bible contains these stories of people having imperfect experiences with God because it, uh, it, it makes me feel like I'm not such a wreck. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here's an out loud question for you again. How does that land with you? Give me a word or two. How does that feel to hear Jesus say, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? What does that make you feel? Oh, empathy. Interesting. Thank you. What else? Defensive. Shameful. Yeah. Anybody else? What's missing from our palette of responses to this yet? Belittled. Belittled. Oh, it, it makes you feel the feeling of imposter syndrome. Wow. I, need, I think I need to get coffee with you to hear why you say that. That's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing it, though. You know, I want to land here for a few minutes. All of those ways that you've just felt seem very normal and and to be expected. They're the way I feel when I hear that phrase sometimes. And if you didn't notice it after you said it, those of you who shared something like belittled or shamed, or um, there was more of it in the room. There was a, "Mm," or there were heads nodding. I can see the heads nodding that sometimes you can't see. I want to take a moment and just name why I think, at least one reason why, that that phrase that Jesus says, you have little faith, feels so weighty to so many of us, right? 
because I'm going to, I'm going to skip to the, the point and then, then come back and try to explain it. I think you can feel free to let go of that feeling of shame about this. Here's why I think you have it. So for so many of us, we came out of a religious tradition that said we are saved by faith, right? That happens to be in the Bible. I believe it's true so far as that goes. But here's the thing with the phrase saved by faith. That has three words, and two of them are extremely loaded terms, <laughs> right? You've heard me say a few times over the past few months, it's my latest thing. It's this, this thing that I'm on. It's a chameleon phrase. A chameleon word or phrase in the Bible is a word or phrase in the Bible that can mean whatever the preacher, teacher, or reader wants it to mean, right? And a skillful enough preacher can use the words saved by faith to make you feel shame for a whole range of things, but specifically this. We understand that our, uh, many of us understand, that, or, or, or at least used to understand, and can't necessarily shake it, that our eternal salvation whether we're going to spend eternity in a place that's warm and sunny or in a place that's way, way, way warmer than warm and sunny is tied to our capacity. Listen to me now. Our eternal fate is tied to our capacity to intellectually assent to a doctrine or theological idea because that's how we've defined saved and that's how we've defined faith. So if your only understanding of what it means to be saved is that you will go to heaven instead of hell, you're going to have, uh, that's going to kind of steer you toward a certain way of understanding this phrase that Jesus uses. And if your understanding of faith is, uh, is belief in a, in a creed or something like that, a set of truths that you have to check off, and depending on your faith tradition, you might have to check off one or three or five or 10 or 150 to be saved. If that's what saved by faith means to you, because it's the only way you've ever heard anybody preach it or teach it, then when Jesus says, you of little faith, it's going to be impossible for you to hear anything other than what you just did, Peter, or failed to do, is the kind of thing that's going to get you sent to hell. And that's where you start to feel shame and belittled. Does that match up for anybody? Is that tracking with anybody in the room? But what if the story is bigger and broader and more beautiful than that? George MacDonald said, in low theologies, hell is invariably the deepest truth. And the love of God is not so deep as hell. George MacDonald, who was a, a mentor to C.S. Lewis in some ways, said, in low theologies, hell is invariably the deepest truth, and the love of God is not so deep as hell. So if your starting point for your religious belief and practice, uh, whether it's because that's the tradition you were raised in by your family, or whether it's because that's uh, where you had an experience of, of, of like a significant spiritual conversion moment, um, if that's your starting point for religious be belief and practice, that you're on the highway to hell, well, then everything else is going to fall into line behind that. That's going to be the defining characteristic of all of your religious beliefs. Your view of God is going to be one of anger and wrath and punishment. And when you hear Jesus say you have little faith, it comes out sounding as belittlement and anger and wrath and 
you know, right behind that is probably punishment. But if your starting point, on the other hand, is that God is love, which, by the way, is also in the Bible, well, then everything falls into place behind that. See, the, you, I cannot describe for you the power that comes in re- replacing uh, the top line, the topic sentence of your religious understanding, especially when you replace something like you're headed for hell with something like God is love. And so if, if our starting point is that God is love, and if we could somehow for a moment, could you do this just for a moment? I know you, it'd be hard to sustain it, but just for a moment, could you imagine that getting out of hell is not the most important religious thing? <laughs> if you could just for a moment start with the premise that God is love and let everything descend from that, whatever might or might not be true about the afterlife, what would that feel like? And then what would it feel like if you were in Peter's shoes? You remember the soggy, wet shoes that he had on? <laughs> Hearing Jesus say, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Do you hear the tone of my voice? I don't know what the tone of Jesus's voice was, but I like to imagine that it was more like, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Instead of you of little faith, why do you doubt? Do you hear the difference in that? How silly is that? Just the tone of your voice as you try to imagine what Jesus said. I think of it like this. Have, uh, some of you have had the immense privilege of, of being around a child when they, ha- when they take their first step. Right? I, I don't want to get too mushy about it, but you know, the kid who was playing bass up here, I was there when he took his first step. Right? <laughs> it's an incredible experience have you ever been around a a kid or even an adult who's riding their bicycle for the first time without training wheels (laughs) it's amazing that's what i think jesus was feeling like look at you peter you're doing it and then peter's like what i'm doing what Right? As soon as you say to the kid, you're riding your bike, they're like, exactly what happened with Peter, I think. I like to think. He's taking his first steps on water. It's amazing. And then he's like, uh oh. And Jesus grabs his hand and he's like, oh, you you were doing it. Why did you lose your faith? Why did you doubt? I'm right here. So for me, I want to try to help you redeem the idea of having a little faith. You have little faith, or in the King James, as Scott said, ye of little faith. <laughs> By the way, did you know that in the King James Bible, ye is a plural you and you is a singular you? So in this case, I actually think Jesus probably said you of little faith, even in the King James. But I'm not going to be pedantic about that. He did in another occasion to a group of people say, ye of little faith, but that's not really the point of the sermon. See, yes, I think Jesus will call us to more faith, right? I think that's what Jesus wants us to have more faith, more than a little even. But look at what Peter did with just a little faith. 
Jesus said, you have little faith. Just that little bit of faith that Peter had. He was walking on the water. Did you notice that he was walking on the water? What if, oh, you have little faith. You had a little bit of faith. That's amazing. Look what you did. Look what you can do with just a little bit of faith. If we were going to make an oil painting, if we were going to say to Peter, okay, oil painting of a moment of your life, do you want the moment where you're walking on the water or the moment where you're sinking in the water? Right? Because here's the thing. I'm being a little silly about it. But, oh my goodness. I know probably not so many of you have walked on the water and then started to sink. It's a fairly rare occurrence. But whatever your version of that is, the oil painting that you have in your mind of yourself and your capacity for faith and meaningful religious belief and practice is always the sinking moment. Could you instead make the oil painting be about the five seconds when you were walking on the water? You had a little faith. It was going so well. That matters. It counts. It happened. Why? Why? Must we always insist on defining ourselves by the sinking moments instead of the walking moments? And by the way, this was not the end of Peter's story with Jesus. If you know the Gospels at all, you know that Jesus and Peter had many more occasions to interact. And Peter had many more highs and many more lows with Jesus. This was not the defining moment in his relationship with Jesus. You may remember that Jesus eventually came to tell Peter that he would be the rock upon which Christ's church would be built. Not bad for someone with just a little faith. What could you do with just a little faith? Just a little faith. Here's what I want for you. I want it so much. I want for those of you who feel like you have a little bit of faith and have been uh, categorizing that under bad rather than good to switch it into the other column. Can you do that with me in your mind and in your heart right now? I have a little bit of faith. It's in the bad column. I should have a lot of faith. I want you to just go in the bad column, cross it out, go over to that good column and write little faith. If it has been for you a cause of shame that your faith is sometimes lacking, that as often as you do anything like walking on water, you are also sinking. If it has been a source of embarrassment or um, self-loathing for you that your faith has been little, may it be for you actually a source of joy. May you consider it a triumph. It's hard to have faith in this world. Look around. May it be for you a joy that you have a little bit of faith. May you be inspired to think of your experience with God as defined not by the weakest moments, but by the moments of greatest trust. And may you see those miracles come again.
those little five seconds of spiritual flow state. My prayer is that God would bless you with one of those this week, that you'd get just five seconds of trust, enough of a little bit of faith. And when you think of the oil paintings that are going to be made of your life, may they always be the moments on top of the water. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.